listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Uh, you know, what does it mean? I mean, how does it work? Why is it important? You know, when the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, that without holiness, we cannot see the Lord. So to me, that's pretty important to understand, okay, if without holiness, I can't see God, I need to understand what holiness is. And again, just to review, if you're uh, new here uh, in the series, or you've kind of been uh, gone for the last couple of weeks, again, holiness, it simply means to separate, it kind of means to set aside, to cut, uh, to be sanctified, uh, to be consecrated, to be holy. Uh, it is to be distinct, uh, to be sanctified, separate in a class uh, by oneself. So I could say here, for example, Brent uh, and uh, Carol, who are kind of running our video, our sound there in the back, you could say that they are kind of holy or sanctified in that uh, they are set apart. They're separated from the rest of us who are kind of in the worship area. When I'm up here on the platform, uh, you could say I'm holy, I'm sanctified in that I am kind of uh, set apart from the rest of you here in this auditorium. And while we're all seated here in this building, you could say we are holy and sanctified in that we are separated from everyone else in Mason City who aren't here now. That's kind of the idea of holiness, is that God is kind of above, he is beyond, he is separated, uh, um, he is uh, high and lifted up. And again, so that, that word holy or holiness, it means that the one who is holy is uniquely set apart. He is uniquely separated and is uh, set apart from all others. He is above and beyond anyone or anything. There are no rivals. There is no competition. When the Bible refers to God as holy, what it's saying is, is that God is transcendentally separate. By that I mean he is so far above and beyond us. Again, that it, it, it seems almost foreign to us. We can't fully grasp what that means when we talk about God being high and lifted up, exalted above and beyond anyone or anything. To be holy, again, it is to be other in a very, very different, special way. One of my favorite authors, Stephen Charnock, he says it this way. He says, power is God's arm or hand. Omniscience, his eye. Mercy, his bowel. Eternity, his duration. But holiness is his beauty. And again, once we become a Christian, when we become born again, we've talked about this, God's holiness, it is imputed, it is transferred into our account, so to speak. And, and as God is now separated from, from all that is, is sinful or contrary to his nature, when we become born again and, and we are made holy through God's holiness, we are also separated. We are set apart from everything that is contrary to the nature of God as well. We're, we're set apart from the, from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. We are set apart from everything that is unrighteous because we 
We now have the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. We, we are no longer that old creation. We have been taken from that and set apart, and we are now a new creation. We are set apart for God's plans and his purposes for our lives. We've talked about how when we're born again, that, that work of sanctification again, uh, begins to work in our lives. And that process of sanctification really is where we are, are more and more being conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is a, a lifelong process. And again, that in a nutshell is kind of where we've been these last few weeks in this series. This morning, I want to talk about the cost of holiness. I think we do a good job here kind of talking about, you know, the, the blessings, the benefits of being a son and daughter of God. I mean, we, we talk about all of the blessings uh, that, that are bestowed upon us when we, when we become a child of God. You know, we do a really good job. But, but we don't really oftentimes stop and really give much thought to the cost of holiness. Now, by cost, I don't, I don't mean what it costs God I mean, there was a cost in what God did in sending his son Jesus Christ to the earth and dying upon the cross. And, and, and God was more than willing because of his great love for you and I to, to pay, to, to sacrifice that cost for you and I. When I talk about the cost of holiness, I'm talking about what it cost us. What sacrifices have we made? What have we been called to give up to accept this call of God upon our life? Because I will tell you what, a faith that costs nothing is worth nothing and it means nothing by cost I mean what does it cost what are the sacrifices what do we have to give up to be a child of God and what do we need to take on to be a follower of Jesus Christ I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Luke 14 beginning in verse 25 and I want you to listen particularly for the cost that are involved in here it says, now large crowds were coming along with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions." It says, therefore, in conclusion, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, <coughs> with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then he says, he who has ears to hear. And he's talking here spiritual ears, spiritual understanding. Let him hear. Again, I would say to you, a faith that costs nothing is worth nothing and means nothing. So let's break down, and I want to just look at a few of what I think are the primary costs to holiness, the cost of what it means to be a passionate uh, follower and a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. First, holiness will cost you your love. 
Now, I want you to notice how this all kind of starts off there in Jesus' statement, beginning in verse 25. It says, now large crowds, and again, I always say it's interesting when they use that word crowd, uh, it's not singular, it's plural. So there were large crowds, many, many, many large crowds of people were following Jesus. And so what he is about to say, he's not speaking here to his core followers, okay? He's talking to huge crowds, huge multitudes, And three times there is a phrase that rings through this passage and it really kind of underscores and gets to the heart of what Jesus is wanting to say. And three times in those verses he says, you cannot be my disciple. Again, you kind of get the sense here, Jesus was not looking for a crowd, he was looking for a commitment. Jesus is not looking for decisions, he's really after disciples, And though we rarely refer to Christians today as disciples, again, the word disciple, it was one of the most common names used in the Bible for those who were followers of Jesus. In fact, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, Christians are called disciples 264 times. And one thing you have to say about Jesus is that there's no, uh, there's no small print in the contract, okay? He's totally above board. He pulls no punches without apology, straight face and straightforward. Jesus lets people know as he lets people know today what is necessary if you're going to really follow after him. In fact, as I kind of read this and read other places where Jesus would speak to the crowds, you kind of get the sense that Jesus really isn't trying to build a crowd up. It seems like he's almost kind of trying to thin the crowd out. He's not really interested in popularity. He could care less about being a celebrity. He meant business with people, and he wants people to mean business with him. And then in verse 26, Jesus, he really kind of gets down to talking about the cost of our love. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I know this verse has caused a lot of people a lot of you know, stress and unnecessary problems because it kind of appears at the surface as if Jesus is telling us to hate the ones we should love the most, but that's really not what he meant. The same Jesus who also tells us to love our enemies would certainly not turn around and then tell us to hate our families. The word hate here, it really would be a better uh, translation to say to love less. So he who doesn't love less Father and mother, you know, brother, sister, than me is really what he is saying here. Matthew 10, 37 kind of helps to further explain what Jesus really meant. And there he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's really what Jesus is getting at there. And one of the reasons why Jesus said to this to the crowd was this, 2,000 years ago, if you gave your life to Jesus, more than likely you had to give up or you were giving up your family, especially if you were Jewish. And that's true today in certain countries, particularly Muslim countries. 
If a Muslim converts to Christianity, he is immediately disowned. He's considered dead. He is considered a traitor by his family. If he owns a business, it can mean the loss of his income and or business. And we've all read many instances where many times people are killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus makes this demand because he's really kind of trying to deal with the whole question of our priorities. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he must be your first love. We kind of talked about this uh, in one of the other sermons where we talked about, you know, that message that Jesus gave to John in the book of Revelation to give to the church in Ephesus. Jesus admires all the work that they're doing, but the one thing he had against them, if you remember, was he said, you've left your first love. And his solution, his answer to them was they needed to return to their first love. So he must be your first love. Ladies, can you imagine a man proposing to you and saying to you, I want you to marry me under these, this one condition. If down the road another woman comes into my life and I love her more, you will have to leave. Now, how many of you women would accept a proposal like that? And the point Jesus was making here is there's a cost. There is a sacrifice you have to make if you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have maybe had to make that cost. You've had to make that sacrifice Maybe it's cost you friendship because once you became a believer, you realize if you, can, if you continue to run around with these same people you ran around with, you're only going to be back in the same behavior you were before you became a Christian. Some of you have to maybe leave a workplace because you're working in an environment or maybe you're being asked to do something that compromises your, 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 your convictions as a Christian. And so you have to make that sacrifice and you have to leave that job and find something that is more compatible. For some of you, you may have to uh, you know, count the cost, make the sacrifice, maybe to put that bottle down, to take up your cross, to put those drugs down, to take up your cross. There is a sacrifice, there is a cost to following Jesus, and he must come first. He must be the one we love the most with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He must come ahead of family, of friends, of finances, of work. But here's the beautiful thing. When you love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you'll also love his commandments. You'll love being obedient to his word. You'll find that when you love Jesus, following his commandments won't be a burden, it'll be a delight. See, the trouble with a lot of Christians is they have that order backwards. They just think, oh, if I would just love Jesus' commandments, oh, if I would just love being obedient to his word, then my love for Jesus would be there. Doesn't work that way. That only leads to legalism. It leads to a religious spirit. It's death. Our love for Jesus must come first and foremost, and it must supersede our love for anything or anyone else. Our love for God, our love for Jesus, that grows when we're spending time with him in prayer, where we're in his word, when we're worshiping him, when we're sharing our faith with others, when we're serving uh, what Jesus called the least among us. These are ways that we can show and demonstrate our love for God and our love for Jesus. 
Secondly, true holiness, it'll cost you your life. Here Jesus goes on and he says in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now again, I know that that may turn some people off because I can assure you the message that Jesus preached turned off a lot of people. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of churches, I think, you know, that, that you kind of get to a certain size uh, and maybe your offering grows to a certain amount and you'll kind of begin to uh, compromise on your message because you don't want to offend people because if you offend people too often, oftentimes they'll leave the church and when they leave the church, they take their money with them. And so oftentimes, this kind of becomes a trap for a lot of large churches. They have to kind of water down and compromise the message to keep keep the people coming, to keep the people giving. Folks, I don't ever want to get in that kind of a position here. I don't want to be a church that compromises the word of God just to keep the seats filled and the offering baskets full. So it'll cost you your life. And it'll oftentimes cost you people. It may cost you congregants. It may cost you finances. Look at John chapter 6, following the feeding of 5,000, which was a marvelous miracle. Man, what a blessing. Could you imagine being there? The people are excited as they see what Jesus does there. But I want you to notice Jesus follows that by making some very strong statements to those who were following him. John chapter 6, verse 53 is one such statement. And Jesus turns to the crowd after he has fed them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Now, we know he's, he's uh, speaking there to uh, the Lord's Supper, to communion. But I want you to hear the response of those people who heard that statement that Jesus made there. In verse 60, the crowd said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And then six verses later, I want you to see not just their response, but now their reaction. And it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were, and were not walking with him anymore. They were not willing to pay the cost. Billy Graham once said, I think the main reason people do not come to Christ is because they do not want to pay the price he said, but Christ will not compromise and he will not negotiate. Jesus says in verse 27, we have to take up our cross daily. It is a daily decision. Now the cross was a symbol of one thing in Jesus' day. Do you know what that was? The cross was a symbol. It was a call to death. The only reason a man would take up the cross was because he knew he was going to die. And Jesus makes it plain that he not only expects us to live for him, to be raised with him, to be baptized with him, but he also states we need to die with him as well. And that's why Jesus said back in verse 26, he said, you've got to love him more than even your very own life. See, if you're not willing to die to self, to reputation, to ambition, to the praise of others, to desire to what you want, and surrender your life totally to Jesus, he makes it very clear, you cannot, you will not be his disciple. 
If you want to win a popularity contest in this world, don't bother following Jesus because it's not where he's going to lead you. It's not where he's going to take you. The world mocked him. It will mock you. The world scorned him. It will scorn you. The world rejected him. It will reject you. Jesus said, what they did to me, what they've done to the prophets, they will do to you as well because of me. Now, this really kind of speaks to the question of pride. It raises the question, who's going to rule, who's going to reign over your life, Jesus or you? If you're going to put Jesus on the throne, that means you're going to have to put yourself on the cross and die to self. Someone once said, when Christ is on the cross, self is on the throne. But when Christ is on but when self is on the cross, Christ is on the throne. I was reading one time about Alexander the Great, who was carrying his triumphant military campaign into a certain city. And this city happened to be really fortified with very thick and high walls. And Alexander the Great, he approached the city, and he demanded to see the king. And so this king, so he could set out the terms of his surrender. The king came and looked at Alexander the Great and his army, and he laughed, and he said, why should I surrender to you? You can't do us any harm. We can endure any siege. Alexander the, king, the Great said to this king, I want you to watch this. And nearby within the side of the city was a sheer cliff. He ordered his soldiers to line up in a single file line and to begin marching toward that cliff. By this time, the king and all of the citizens of the city had gathered there at the wall, and they watched, and they were horrified as one by one, Alexander the Great's men marched toward and over the edge of that cliff and plunged to their death. After several men uh, had obeyed his orders, he commanded them to halt. And then he called his troop back to his side, and they stood there silently facing the king and that city. History says the effects of the citizens and the king was stunning. From spellbound silence, they moved into sheer abject terror. And they realized they had no wall thick enough and no defense strong enough to protect them from that kind of commitment to that kind of devotion. Spontaneously, they rushed through the gates and they surrendered themselves to Alexander the Great. See, it's that kind of surrender, it's that kind of devotion, it's that kind of sacrifice that Jesus is asking for. Only he will not ask you to blindly walk over a cliff to your death. As we've all watched ISIS over these last couple of years and the heinous, the horrific acts that they're committing against humanity, I think the one thing we can all agree upon, they're willing to die for what they believe in. We don't agree with what they believe in. We don't agree with what they're doing. But the tragedy is, is that terrorists are more willing to pay a price and are more willing to die for a lie than most Christians are to live for the truth. And the reason why the Lord makes this demand, why he calls for this kind of devotion and commitment is because he wants anyone 
who wants to follow him to understand not only are there blessings, not only are there benefits in following Jesus, but there is also a cost, a price to be paid. There is a cost to be counted. How often today we worry about the price of something when we ought to consider the cost of something. Because as many of you know, there is a big difference between price and cost. Even though the price for a $100,000 Mercedes is the same for both me and Warren Buffett, I can assure you the cost is far more for me than it is for him. And that is the point Jesus makes in verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Jesus is saying the Christian life, it's like a strong tower. It is a, it's to be a tower of work, a tower of witness, a tower of worship. It is to be a tower of spiritual warfare. So there is a compelling reason and a tremendous cost in building this tower. We have a lot of people I've seen, been a pastor for many, many years and been involved in many churches where I see a lot of people who will make a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. I kind of like how John Maxwell kind of calls them shooting stars. They kind of start off really strong and brilliant as they're flashing across the, the sky of life. They become born again. They're passionate. They're excited. They're exuberant. And then after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, like that shooting star, it kind of just begins to fade and to fizzle, and then it is no more. I've seen a number of, of, of people who start the Christian faith that way. They're really on fire for God, and after a couple of weeks and months, they kind of just fade and they fizzle out, and I never see or hear from them again. Do you know why so many Christians fall by the wayside and disappear? It's because they were not willing to pay the price. They did not factor in the cost. I remember when I was in college, I've shared this story before. I uh, was in college uh, in Mount Pleasant, and I was not a Christian at that time. I, I became a Christian in, in the process of being there. And I remember on my dorm wall, I had this uh, Garfield poster. And it, it had kind of, you know, that bubble thought, you know, that... Uh, bubble cloud uh, that would show Garfield's thoughts. And so on the poster was Garfield, and above him was this thought uh, that said, I live for Fridays. And I had that kind of posted uh, in my room. After I had become a Christian, I remember one day looking at that poster and seeing those words, I live for Friday, and I realized that was no longer true for me. And I remember getting a, a big black magic marker and I took it and I crossed out that word Friday and underneath that I wrote the word Jesus. I live for Jesus. My life had changed. My priorities, my focus, everything, uh, my ambitions, everything had changed. I now lived for Jesus. I had gotten, I remember one time uh, I had had just crates full of, of very secular albums. I mean, you name it, I had it. And I remember one day the Holy Spirit just really convicted me because I wasn't really playing that music anymore. I had gone out and I was buying Christian music and I was, I was really listening um, to that a, a lot. And, and I remember one day the Holy Spirit kind of just said to me, it's time to let go of that. You, you don't listen to that. That's not who you are. And so I, I remember the Holy Spirit kind of just leading me to kind of just take all of these crates of records and just take them out and throw them in the dumpster. 
And I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. I should just sell them. You know, I could get some money off of this and buy more Christian music. But I just really felt like the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to take it, and I want you just to dump all of this in the dumpster. So I kind of started walking out uh, my dorm room. I lived on the third floor, so I had to go kind of past pretty much everybody in, in the dorm that I was living in at that time. And so as I'm walking out with these crates of records, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, um, I'm throwing these in the dumpster. What? Yeah, I, I, I don't listen to it anymore. I'm just going to throw all this in the dumpster. And, I, you know, I, I just, just a sense of people thinking you're crazy, okay? But I felt like this is what the Lord wanted me to do. And so, I mean, I went up and down the steps a million times, just dumping all these crates of secular music out. And my thought was, was this is really kind of dumb because everybody saw this. They're all going to be in the dumpster diving, you know, going through the records, pulling everything out. Well, you know what? Um, a couple days later, I was really, really curious. And so I went back over to that dumpster because I knew that they emptied it on like a Friday. So on my way to class on a Friday morning, I went by and I kind of just lifted up the lid on that dumpster. And you know, to my amazement, I, 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 I'm pretty sure almost every record album was still in that trash and was hauled to the dump. I mean, that, that was just part of, the, again, that cost, that commitment to Christ. I mean, I was, I was very, very bold. I was very, very vocal. I mean, I was, very, you know, sharing Jesus with anybody and everybody. My brother at that time was not a Christian. He was on the football team. I was sharing my, my faith with football players. Uh, they were threatening me. My brother was threatening me. Look, if you don't shut up, uh, stop talking about Jesus. I mean, there, there are football players that want to mess you up, and, and I am the only reason that, that they're not doing that. And if you don't stop this, I'm just going to tell them to go ahead. And I remember one time coming back after uh, a meal, I had, uh, we, had a, we had a fraternity on our uh, campus that were a lot of heavy drinkers on weekends. And so they would have these huge parties in the dorm on Friday nights. And then we, we kind of had like a, a, it was a community bathroom everybody shared. And so you'd go down there, you know, on Saturday morning, take a shower, get ready, and they had taken all of the light bulbs out. They had, they had used them as saber swords. They'd smashed them up against the walls. There was broken glass all over the floors. You'd try to go to use the bathrooms, and people had gotten sick, and, and it was just, it was disgusting to go into the bathroom. So I thought I wanted to be a change agent in that, and so I went and really tried to get this fraternity disbanded. Um, and I was, I was, you know, pretty uh, obnoxious about it, I will admit. Um, and so uh, there was just all of these things kind of happening. And I remember one time uh, coming back, I think, after a meal, and I, I noticed that my room had been broken into. And, and I walked into my, my dorm room, and I mean, everything had just been, like, destroyed. They, they'd taken all of my clothes out of the closet, out of my dresser. They had dumped it on my bed. They had taken uh, beer, uh, just uh, old stale beer that was left over from one of their parties and I remember them just covering my clothes, my bed, my mattress, everything with this beer and then they had taken uh, laundry detergent and they had just, they had poured it over everything. It was just, they, they dumped all the stuff in my desk out. It was just, it was a mess and I, I remember that moment just standing there looking at that and my heart was so heavy. I was, I was so 
angry. I was so mad. I was so disappointed. And I remember just standing there thinking, God, I mean, look at all I'm doing for you. I'm out witnessing for you. I'm out trying to share uh, Jesus with other people. And this is the thanks I get. I mean, there was just, there was a moment where I kind of just felt like this isn't worth it. If this is what I can expect, if this is what's going to happen, forget it. Well, thank God I had a couple of other really strong Christian believers um, who kind of came and, and saw everything that happened, and they were really, really good at sitting down with me and saying, there is a cost to following Jesus. There are sacrifices that are going to be made. And, and I just remember at that moment just having to make that decision. Am I willing to pay the cost? Am I willing to make that kind of sacrifice? What price am I willing to pay to follow Jesus? I love, uh, I just, I just want to close with this. Um, I love what David Livingston, who was uh, probably one of the greatest missionaries uh, who ever lived, I want you to listen to what David Livingston once said. He said this, he said, my face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in a maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow up until I have preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for Christ. I love that. Man, that is a life mission. David Livingston, again, was one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. He labored many, many years in some of the deepest, I mean, spiritually darkest jungles of South Africa. And because of his sacrifice, his commitment to Jesus Christ, today there were, <clears throat> are over 300 million Christians in Africa because of the seeds of faith this man planted. One time Livingston received a letter from a certain Christian society, a, a mission society, and they said, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to you. David Livingston wrote back to this mission society, and he said, if you have men that will only come if I know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there is no road at all. That is the call. That is the cost of holiness. It is a call that Jesus paid. It is a commitment Paul made. It is a sacrifice every disciple of Jesus Christ has made. This is the only kind of followers that Jesus desires. These are the only kind of followers that Jesus deserves. This is the only kind of commitment that Jesus demands. That is the life Christ calls us to. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just again thank you. Father, we thank you for all of the benefits. We thank you for all of the blessings. Father, we thank you, Lord, that every blessing you give us have bestowed upon us is yes and amen to the glory of God. 
And Father, while we're grateful for those benefits, for those blessings, Father, we also know there is a cost, there is a commitment, there is a sacrifice, there is a surrendering that we need to make as we follow after you. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us a soberness of heart to know, God, that as you were rejected, we will be rejected. As you were mocked, we will be mocked. As you were ridiculed, we will be ridiculed. As you were subjected to death, we will be subjected to death. And Father, let us be fully aware and let us be willing to make that same commitment, to make that same sacrifice that you and many other Christians have made. And Father, I pray, Lord, that again, you would just renew that commitment in our heart that no matter what, we're going to follow after you, that we're not going to quit, we're not going to give up, that we're not going to turn away, we're not going to walk away. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and Lord, just help us in that task of daily taking up our cross and following after you. That God, it is not a work of the flesh. It's not something that we can do of our own initiative. That this is Holy Spirit led. It is Holy Spirit infused. And so Father, we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would just come. And that, God, you would lead us, that, God, you would empower us, that you would guide us to live this life of commitment, this life of sacrifice, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength above anyone or anything else. And so, Father, again, we ask, Lord, that you would come and just through your Holy Spirit, help us to honor this commitment and this call to holiness just as Jesus did. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.